0: Good morning. I said, Good morning. (laughs) Thank you. I know what you're thinking. Wasn't he here last week? (laughs) And yes, I was. And it's because you're so gracious to give Pastor Sean a preaching sabbatical once a year. Not a sabbatical, he works. Sort of. I mean, he wants to. If you call going to camp work, <laughs> but it gives him a chance to think about other things than the the uh, the weekly the weekly sermon. So thank you very much for doing that, and it means that you know it's a long enough sabbatical that you will be really really desperate for him to come back. <laughs> We are looking at a, a series in First Corinthians. I'm going to read a, a text, and if it sounds familiar, it's because I read the same thing last week, which is really unusual because typically we don't remember one thing to another. Uh, but in it, it is Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians, and uh, I'm going to read just a, a, a long passage, but we're only going to uh, we're only going to focus on one. Word in this, in this package, maybe two. But in 1 Corinthians 1, chapters, uh, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what is preached to save those who believe. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And this is the key text. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is in, in the will of God You are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom and righteousness and holiness and redemption. I was reminded of an old joke. You've heard it a number of times, I'm sure, of a Sunday school teacher was uh, wanting to make an illustration from an animal, and she wanted the class to uh, say which animal it was. And she said, "I, um, I live in the trees I jump from branch to branch, nobody is saying anything, I'm usually, I eat nuts and hide them for the winter, and nobody's saying anything, and I'm usually gray, sometimes brown, but mostly gray, and I have a bushy tail, and nobody is saying anything until finally one kid says, you know, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> well, for Paul, The answer is Jesus. Whatever the issue is, foolishness, darkness, uh, uh, unable to discern the the truth of God, the answer is Jesus is our wisdom. Guilt, shame, brokenness, uh, separation from God and and under his judgment, the solution is Jesus, our righteousness. And that's what uh, we'll be looking at today. Last week we, we looked at wisdom and uh, read a long passage in Proverbs, and one of the things that we might have missed was in Proverbs 18, you have the call of wisdom to come, simple people, come, learn God's wisdom. It's available to you. And one of the things that uh, Lady Wisdom said was, my gifts are better than gold, even purest gold. My wage is better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness in paths of justice. That wisdom leads to righteousness. It's not enough just to be smart. We have a lot of smart people in the world, shrewd people that can devise a plot or a plan and accomplish it. But it isn't wisdom unless it is based on the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is his basic character to do what is right, do what is right in relationship. Do what is right as he rules the world. And just a couple scriptures out of uh, many uh, that in Deuteronomy 32:4, he is our rock, his deeds are perfect, everything he does is just and fair. He's a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. Psalm 89:14: righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants psalm 71 1 and 2 oh lord i have come to you for protection don't let me be disgraced in your righteousness save me rescue me turn your ear to me and listen to me that the, the uh, we we think of righteousness as Duties and uh, conforming to a standard, and that's true. And the standard is God Himself. But righteousness in the Bible is not a passive idea. Righteousness is an active, an active idea. It is God doing what is right, or you could say, putting to right that which is wrong. There is a, there is a. Uh, as this psalmist said, in, in your righteousness, save me. It is, it is when he acts according to his character that he saves people. Now, you, you don't have to be a genius to realize that there is something seriously wrong with the world today, and always has been. And we looked at wisdom last week, and we, we found that, uh, the, the wisdom of God was how he created the world was through his wisdom. But it's also how he rules the world is through his wisdom. And this causes a problem because we look at the world and it doesn't seem like it's based on wisdom or righteousness. If I can go back to an old, old book, I mean, way real old, like 1960 old. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is Cats 22 by, by Joseph Heller, and uh, it's, a, it's a military sarcastic book. But the hero, Captain John Yossarian, was, he got fed up with the idea of people that he didn't even know were trying to kill him. I mean, that's kind of what happens in war. And what made it worse was his, his, his commanding officers were trying to do kill him too. But, and so he said this in this argument about whether there's a God that is in charge of these kinds of things. And he, he said, there's nothing so mysterious about it. He's not working at all he's playing or else he's forgotten all about us. That's the kind of God you people talk about, a country bumpkin, a clumsy, bungling, brainless, conceited, uncouth hayseed. How much reverence can you have for a supreme being who is nothing more than a colossal, immortal blunderer? When you consider the opportunity and power he had to really do a job, and then you look at the stupid, ugly, little mess he made of it instead, His sheer incompetence is almost staggering. Tell us what you really think. Don't hold back. But haven't you had thoughts the same? That it doesn't add up. The God, the righteous one, ruling the world in wisdom, and yet it is broken in almost every area where you look. You look at government or the medical profession, family, education, media. It doesn't matter where you look. It is not righteous. It is wrong. And there's a cry in the heart that says, God, you have to do something about this. Um, We tend to think in terms of those evil people and we good people. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that the, the dividing line between good and evil passes straight through the human heart. That it, it isn't just those people outside that are evil. It is us. And there's a, a longing for things to become right. And, um, it's uh, Gregory Gansel in his, his book, Our Deepest Desires. Uh, talks about that uh, the complaint that we have that God is not doing what he should be doing reveals that we believe that there is something right that should be done. And we see that it is not being accomplished but there's, a, there's an innate sense in the human heart that there is right there is something that's absolute and true and just and righteous, and we have a deep desire for that to be take effect, uh, even when we corrupt it and we're deceived and, and all the rest. There's something inside us that says, there must be a right, and it can't be put to right unless God does something. And this is the righteousness of God, the longing for the righteousness of God is 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 born in our hearts when we look around and we see that it looks like he's not doing anything we sing that song sometimes at christmas the the bell i heard the bells on christmas day right the bells of christmas and he says it's a lie First, hate is strong and on, on, in the, off the wrong, and yet we're singing about peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But there's, there's something in the human heart that longs for God to act, to change things, to accomplish what he wants. And he, Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that is for God to act and put things right, you're blessed. But sometimes I... Tired of being blessed. I want to see it happen. Come and do it. Accomplish your your view. And this is not an old struggle of mine. Uh, Forgive me, you know, somebody told me once you should never use a personal illustration in a sermon. I'm gonna violate that. (laughs) Is that okay? Pastor Sean, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, And if you've been on Wednesday night, you've heard it before, but it never gets old to me. It might be old to you. But I I came to faith in college, and I'd never had a Christian upbringing. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I was as ignorant as you could possibly be. And yet I came to faith and decided to go to this little Bible school. Well, when I got to that Bible school, I was learning all kinds of, I'm a new convert. I didn't even know when you came to faith in Christ that you were supposed to repent. I didn't even know that. I learned that in Bible school. And I learned a whole lot of other stuff too. And you grow up in church and you learn these things little by little and you, you, you have your problems and you reconcile them over time. I had a load of, I almost said something you're not supposed to say in, <laughs> in church, a load of stuff came on me and I was, I, I was really struggling. And what I was struggling with was the justice of God, the fairness of God, how he rules the universe, and particularly the concept of eternal judgment. And I, I couldn't wrap my mind around this. I, I could not understand, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't see it. And I was struggling and thinking, I I might just give this up. I'm not sure I want to follow Jesus anymore. If this is the way it is, I'm I'm not sure I want to do it. Maybe you've been in a place where you really questioned whether or not you wanted to follow the Lord that you began. Well, I I was really struggling and I was in the library one day thinking about these things and I had a vision and I, I say vision because I don't know how else to describe it but it, it wasn't like a prophet or any, anything like that. It was more the Lord took my mind in a direction that I, I never would have taken it because I didn't know enough to take it that way. I, I know he took me in a way that revealed something that I wasn't even asking and he didn't answer my questions. But he went deeper than that and saved my life. But they, And I, I found answers later on, but that wasn't my real need. My real need was, will you trust me? Will you trust me when you don't understand and don't know what's going on? And I, I was sitting there thinking about uh, the justice of God and the fairness and uh, eternal punishment and all the rest of it. And, this, and God took my mind not to answer any question at all. But I saw Jesus hanging on a cross. And I realized I didn't have to have the answers to how God rules the universe. I didn't have to give my agreement and consent. I didn't have to understand all the, uh, the the realities of judgment and righteousness. I knew He loved me, and I knew He died for my sins. And that was what I actually needed, was to trust God for, for who He is. Some 40 years later, uh, uh, N.T. Wright wrote a book called Evil and the Justice of God, and in it he argued that God's act to overcome evil is on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think he's, I think he's right, that when Christ died on a cross, that was when the world's brokenness was broken, that was when the world's guilt was alleviated. That was when the, uh, the destruction that there is in sin was, was conquered. We just sang the song. He conquered death and the sin that, that leads to it. And so when we see Jesus on the cross, all our questions about God's rule and his justice, his providence, his activity, his seeming inactivity diminish in comparison. With the grandeur of his love through the cross, he conquers evil in men and in the entire cosmos. This is God's way to overcome evil. It isn't just the power. It's the power of the gospel of Christ, hanging on a cross, dying for my sins, becoming sin that I might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what God is doing to overcome evil. This is the fulfillment of the hope of the Old Testament. In Jeremiah, he, Jeremiah says, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from kingdom, King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety and this will be its name. The city of God will be called the Lord is our righteousness. That's the word that Paul has here, that Christ is our righteousness. It isn't just what he does, but what he does in Christ to provide and to execute righteousness for us. So in the wisdom of God we saw he creates the universe. But he also rules it and for Paul he reveals his wisdom most first and foremost in the sacrifice of Christ to save people from their sins. To overcome the brokenness of people's sin. The world counts as foolishness and shameful for the Messiah to die on a cross. And yet it's there that he defeats evil. He puts things right. Now this Paul, there's a, a word that Paul uses, now I know you noticed this, that last week I re- read from 118 through the end of the chapter, and, and today I read from 117. I know you were thinking, I wonder why he would do that. He couldn't be that he just forgot because that's the way he is. <laughs> But no, it was actually kind of important. So in in verse 17, Paul said uh, that uh, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel is good news. He brought me to preach good news. And uh, this is nothing new. You've heard this before, uh, the good news of of Jesus Christ. But I, I was reading... In um, Tim Keller's devotional on Proverbs, in, in Proverbs fifteen thirty, the light of the eyes rejoice the heart and good news refreshes the bones. And he, he said something about good news and gospel that I, I must have heard before, but I never remembered it. And he turned it around and he said, the definition of gospel or good news is news that brings joy is news that brings joy and that stopped me and started me thinking and you, you can imagine uh, you, you remember that life magazine cover at the at VJ day uh, when you know the world war ii is over and the, the streets are full of people and celebration just goes out uh, as as the people rejoice and. the In the good news, I'd heard the story of um, the the Battle of Waterloo, where uh, Wellington is fighting Napoleon and the English nation is hanging in the balance. And, uh, you know, they're on the island, but they're waiting for news, and this is before email. Before text messaging, before even wireless communications, no phone calls, nothing, all they had was a ship out in the ocean, uh, you know, waving semaphore flags to give the result of the battle. But it's a foggy day. And they're looking with the telescope through to see the flags and they, they see the flag, say Wellington defeated. And then the fog comes in, they don't see anything more. And so the news goes out, Wellington is defeated. We don't know what this means for the the nation. Napoleon is going to take over. The gloom and despair and um, fear, consternation, kind of like Jesus dying on a cross, supposed Messiah, now in a tomb. But in two or three hours, the fog clears and they see the whole message. Wellington defeated Napoleon. And that's when the celebration takes place. That's when the joy takes place. That the Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. That there is a, a celebration and joy to hear the conquering of sin and death through through Christ. And I started thinking of Islam. Islam means submission, that at the very heart of the religion, the foundation of the religion is submission. And even Judaism is not supposed to be, but it can be the, that the, at the very heart are laws to keep. But here, the foundation of the Christian faith is news that brings joy. News that brings celebration. And I, I, this may be odd for some of us because we don't always respond in joy when we hear the preaching of the gospel. And I I don't want to spend a whole lot of time because there's so many reasons, but I picked out a few reasons why maybe the preaching of Christ dying on the cross and being raised from the dead to establish the righteousness of God does not bring us joy and for some of us it's because we don't think we need any work of God in that regard we think of ourselves as righteous we don't need somebody to provide a righteousness not my own but let me remind us we have fallen short of God's purpose for us. And we are accountable to him. That there is a day when every person will stand before God and will be judged for the things they have done in their body. And it will not be a time of comparing myself to others that, well, at least I wasn't as bad as Pastor Sean You know, I was going to say Hitler, but you don't say that anymore. But it it won't be a comparison with other people. It'll be comparison with the righteousness of God that he intended for all people to, to display. And that's why it brings joy that the judgment of God was put on Christ, and I don't face it anymore. That brings Joy. It will be revealed at that time that uh, it wasn't just that you made a few mistakes. It it will be that we are rebels against him. We are his enemies. And he will will act in accordance. That's why the gospel brings joy. Because while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. But others... Maybe they, maybe they don't have joy when they hear a message of sins forgiven because they're thinking, you don't know how bad my sins are. It may be that some people, good people, can take pleasure in this message because they're not sinful like I am. They haven't done the things that I've done. You don't know me when you say that Christ died for all sins. And it's true, I I don't. But you don't know me either. And the the, the fact is that no matter how bad your sin is, the difference between you and the best person that ever lived (laughs) on a scale of from the moon to earth is 1 millimeter right the difference between the best and the worst is is minuscule and i've heard people say that i've done so many things i don't deserve grace yep isn't that what grace is is a gift to the undeserving the one that doesn't earn, the one that doesn't merit, the one that cannot uh, accomplish on his own is given grace by him. And that's why we say, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by grace alone. I, I don't know, you're probably old enough to remember I only saw it on TV. I'm not that old, but way back in the way back in the day, uh, someone would latch on to the uh, the American dream and, and and get a little house somewhere and get out of the rentals and a little property and uh, a yard and maybe a garden and and they would they would uh, they would take a mortgage for like 30 years to pay this thing off and, work second jobs and the rest just to pay it off. And eventually, they would be paid off and they would have a party. Their family would come uh, neighbors would come and they would, they would have a mortgage-burning ceremony where here I've been slaving away all these years and now I'm free. I'm free because the debt has been paid. That is the good news. That's why it brings joy because the debt has been paid and we didn't have to pay it. The debt was laid upon Christ and we're set free in His righteousness was that old song he paid a debt he did not owe i owed a debt i could not pay that's why this brings joy we hear the word of debts paid of sins forgiven and basically we need the holy spirit to convict us of how lost we are and to convince us of how gracious and good god is but some some might not hear this with joy because well, I've, I've tried it and failed. I heard the message of Jesus. I put my faith in him. I began to walk and follow his ways, but it was hard and I found things deep within me that were more destructive than I knew, and I couldn't get free of them, and I I tried and failed, and I slipped back into sin again and again and again, and I I repented and I came back, but I never actually changed, and I don't know if I can keep going on like this. And I, I suspect that there are many people that can't hear this with joy because they began in grace, by faith, and then thought it was all up to them to earn God's acceptance, to merit his favor. It would be like the one that burned his mortgage on, Monday, on, the, on Saturday and then Monday morning goes back down to the bank to pay them another check. They're saying, why are you here? The debt has been paid. You, can't, you don't have to pay this anymore. That's the, that's the freedom of the gospel of Christ. The debt has been paid. That Jesus is my righteousness. He wasn't just my righteousness when I first accepted him. He's my righteousness now, day by day, year by year. When I'm doing well, when I'm doing poorly, he is my righteousness. And when my focus is on him and not myself, then he uh, performs his righteousness in, in me. And I, I, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing for us to uh, hear it's something that I know God wants to change in me and begin to look at my own ability, my own strength, my own willpower, my own dedication, my own uh, determination rather than look to Him. He's the one that not only uh, makes us righteous but changes us so that we, we become righteous in, in Him. Despite grace alone, through faith Alone. And finally, there are some that it doesn't bring joy because we've heard it so many times before. It's old news. Tell me something new. (laughs) Tell me something new that I haven't heard before. And I've known the doctrine of grace for decades. More than half a century, I've known the doctrine of grace. Tell me something new. And we lose the wonder and joy of hearing sins forgiven, dressed in the righteousness of of Christ. And I think part of our problem is we think of these things as doctrines. But our righteousness is not a doctrine. What does Paul say? Our righteousness is Jesus. Our righteousness, our salvation, our debt paid, our transformation is in a person. It's a contact with him. And to lose the wonder of him is is what destroys the the heart. But his, his affection for us has not changed over the years. Our feeling of warmth and happiness and affection for Him may change, but His affection does not change for us. For it is by grace through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God is accomplished in a person, in Him. And we are in him by faith. We're in union with him. And that's what makes the difference. So we don't, this doesn't get old because I'm convinced that he is dwelling in me and I'm dwelling in him. And he is accomplishing God's great work of salvation in me and in the world. And one day it will be complete when he completes all the work that he has done. Paul concludes this section with this word in verse 31. Therefore, Ed, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. How do we keep the joy of the newness of the good news of Christ? It is in expressing praise and confidence and worship to him. It's to lift up his name. It's to look to him, not to ourselves. It's to look to him, not to a doctrine or a truth, but to look to him as the person who took my sins upon himself on a tree and then called me to himself, drew me in, and provided for me everything that I need for life and godliness. What's that song we sing sometimes? When Christ shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Our God and Savior, we thank and praise you that you are the perfect, righteous, holy God, And you are doing a righteous work in the world. And you will accomplish all your purpose. And you have included us in that purpose. You took us that were unjust, uh, unrighteous, and despicable before you, rebels and enemies, proud and conceited and immoral. And you made us righteous in your son. And, And it was because of the great price that he paid on his own cross. And now we stand in him, righteous and whole and holy. And we give him the honor and praise and glory that belongs to him and to him alone. Amen.